Sup, you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. Hit that like button, subscribe, do a little dance, anything to put the algorithm gods in our favor. And let's just jump into it. And first up today, wow. Uh, remember how earlier this week we talked about OFTV, the safer work offering from OnlyFans? One of the aspects of that story was, don't worry, perverts. Your filthy filth will remain untouched. This is an expansion, well, uh, Asterisk. Yes and no, because today we saw the news and headline, OnlyFans to block sexually explicit videos starting in October, with Bloomberg reporting that OnlyFans is getting out of the pornography business. But this is also not gonna hit all adult stars equally on the platform, right? Creators like Corinna Cobb for Tana Mojo that might post nude photos or nude videos will still likely be fine. This because nude photos and nude videos will still be allowed so long as they're consistent with OnlyFans' updated policies, which are not available to the public yet. But it does appear that OnlyFans is drawing a line at actual sex, right? So. Uh, creators like Lena the Plug, uh, Belle Delphine. And with this, we've already seen a number of big reactions. Creators like Laura Lux tweeting, my content is only topless slash implied nude, so this isn't gonna affect me personally, but holy shit, it's gonna hurt a lot of my friends. I think we all saw it coming, but goddamn. This is gonna be an interesting one to watch because this is happening at an interesting time for OnlyFans. Right, by most accounts, OnlyFans is a very successful company, tons of users, but according to reports right now, they're having a hard time finding investors, which I will say is kind of crazy to me because I, just as an angel investor, investor in the space right now, there's a lot of stupid things getting dumb money. But as Axios explains, part of the problem here could just be the pornography. Noting some VC funds are prohibited from investing in adult content per limited partnership agreements. Several investors concerned about minors creating subscription accounts. There's also concern that payment platforms might pull their support in the future like they did with Pornhub. I mean, hell, it's kind of crazy. They're not even trying to raise at more than a $2 billion valuation because they, they handled $2 billion last year. I don't know, but like I said, this is gonna be something that's interesting to watch. This is breaking literally just hours before I'm posting. So there is gonna be a question, do the, the content creators on the platform, do they just adjust, they pull back, they change, maybe they, they diversify? Or, you know, what else could we see here? Especially because the, the company is kind of turning its back on the, the number of people that built the platform. And so actually to get more insight for myself, for you, I reached out to one of the biggest creators on OnlyFans, Lena the Plug, and we actually talked about it. So Lena, thank you for making the time. I know that you're actually getting ready to make more content right now, but I, I, I had to ask and reach out, did, did you or any other creators have any heads up whatsoever that this was gonna happen? Cause I mean, you're one of their biggest creators. I had no true heads up. I mean, I know there was rumors and so the rumors kind of infiltrate your mind and you think about a day when OnlyFans might ban porn. And I mean, I guess I really shouldn't actually be surprised because I've been treated terribly by almost every platform, whether or not I'm breaking their rules. But this just kind of felt like the one really safe place, you know, like, this is a place that is accepting to me. This is a place that is inviting me and is telling me to make this sort of content and collab with all the other creators, tag them, help them grow. And then, you know, I mean, it's not like it's tomorrow, but it's not that long from now and it's October, I guess. Yeah, and so like for creators like you and others, like what what do you think the, the next move is? Like, do you go completely off platform, whether it be like as protest or just to survive or you, uh, diversifying content where you're only posting the now approved stuff here and then you got to go to another place or do you all get together and try and petition like what do you what happens I think that a, that a platform that is already deciding to do it to do this is not going to change their minds I believe you know they want to be more brand friendly and they want to be in the app store like I'm assuming that these are their motivations and um, I don't think that anything that we do will change their minds because honestly, no platforms care about sex workers. I lost my Instagram in January and I hadn't been active for four months. It doesn't matter. Um, so I, my plan right as of now, as of just finding out is to 
delete all the content that would break the rules, I assume, and just, you know, leave the nude photos and stuff because I do have a huge following on there. And I, why would I want to, you know, stop posting content on there, but I'm already researching, like, you know, there's other companies who have same sort of models that I've never decided to join because I, you know, I just didn't want to put my fans in too many different places and make it confusing why I have different platforms, but there are other platforms out there that are, are inviting the sex workers. So I will be joining them. Um, and I bet all the other girls will be doing the exact same thing. Also, Lena, I have to ask, I mean, one of the words I keep seeing pop up from creators impacted by this, or even just kind of people watching is betrayal. Like, do you, do you feel that word describes this situation? Yeah, I feel very betrayed. And I do think that we completely built the platform and, you know, we, we made it big. And then there was, you know, I talked to Tana Mojo before she joined OnlyFans and she was skeptical. She was like, you know, this is a very porny sort of platform. I don't know if I want to be associated with it. Maybe I'll do something like Patreon, but then no, it became more mainstream and they got more influencers on it. Corinna, you know, all these other girls who are just considered more mainstream. And then now it's like, all right, we don't need the girls who helped us get here. And we're just going to try to get more, you know, celebrity type people on instead who would who would never actually cross into the sexual activities part of it um and it, and it really sucks because you know it's i treat this like a business and i have a team of people that i you know i'm i'm their livelihood and so i pay them to help me take photos and help me schedule out my content and stuff so if i don't have an income then they don't have an income and you know today is like a, a shoot day for me i'm getting ready i'm getting in hair and makeup so that i can go work on my content because this is my job and i treat it in a professional way and so someone is you know taking my job from me essentially. I also wanted to ask, uh, there are people pushing back, although there's not a ton of support for OnlyFans out there right now, there are people pushing back saying that OnlyFans are thinking about the future, they're, they're worried about their payment providers, uh, you know, uh, as far as like transactions pulling away, like they've done with Pornhub in the past. Like, what are your thoughts there? I feel like it's kind of bullshit because they use CC Bill, which is used by a lot of X websites, and I don't think they've ever pulled. So I feel like that's total BS. And the last thing that I'll ask is if, if there's like a final thing that you can say, whether it be to uh, the general public, uh, journalists that might see this, uh, OnlyFans uh, heads, uh, what, what would you say? I just want to say that you took many people's jobs away from them and it's, you know, they do porn. And so you, it's like, who cares about these people? They're just porn stars or they're just sex workers. But, you know, this is people's lives. It's not just a joke. It's not something to just mess with like that. And uh, it's unfair. <laughs> and so where I want to leave this story, one, uh, thank you again to Lena for taking the time to, to provide some insight, give your reaction. Uh, two, uh, to you watching right now, uh, what are your thoughts regarding this whole story and announcement today? And three, as far as my final notes here, my mindset on this, unless OnlyFans reverses course, or they, they're like cute with their language, so they don't actually do the ban, and they're like, oh, things got out of hand, is fuck OnlyFans. This feels like they're casting aside the, the people that made them a thing. Like I get they want mainstream acceptance, but it feels incredibly stupid to look over at like what Tumblr did and go, that's a great business plan. Let's ban the thing that made us super relevant. The only fucking that's gonna be allowed on our website is us fucking over those creators. Like I said, I, I get that there's a taboo, but there's so few places that are safe for these sex workers, especially places that don't exploit and rip them off. I don't know, ultimately it just feels scummy to me, but hey, like I said, that's a story, an interview, my opinion on it, and I pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts here? Then in your super random story of the day, let's talk about why Broke Bobby was trending on Twitter. Right, depending on who you are, this is either a kind of just a random quirky story about, uh, <laughs> 
things that friends do with one another, or uh, it highlights uh, wealth disparity. Right, so all of this stems from a now viral TikTok from an investor and TikToker by the name of Tom Cruise. In one of his videos, he features a spreadsheet that he and his friends made called the Forbes Friends List, saying that it helps them organize travel plans. And with this, uh, it lists ranks of their salaries, uh, with the top person being $5 million, the person at the bottom uh, they call Broke Bobby, earning $125,000 a year. The list going on to include things like how much available PTO they have, along with their expected bonuses, marital statuses, which uh, <laughs> a number of people are like, what's up with this guy? His relationship is, he's 70% single? And also at other sections like, will they travel to a third world destination? Would they split a private flight? Or are they a degenerate gambler? But Tom claiming that this works for their friend group and that some even find it motivational. But also that's not where this ends because in another video, he showed a list of the bottom 10 incomers in this friend group uh, who apparently have dubbed themselves the welfare 10. And that includes people who are unemployed all the way up to someone making $92,000 a year. And as expected, these videos and this system have received mixed reactions. Some thinking, yeah, this is a pragmatic way to plan and make sure that everyone is accounted for, happy with the trip, while others found it inappropriate, uncomfortable, saying it's terrible to turn your friend's ability to hang out with you into a spreadsheet. Also sparking a ton of debates about the pursuit of money and the line between motivating someone or just being rude. With also a number of people thinking this just kind of shows how uh, wealthy people are out of touch. But as far as Tom, for his party, has continued to defend the list, uh, also kind of fucking with people here or there online. And, you know, with this story being recommended, there were a lot of people saying, Phil, what do you think about it? And I'm kind of of two minds. One, it's not my friend group nor my money, so I kind of don't give a damn. But also, two, I will say as someone that really came from nothing, I had debt and dreams for the majority of my life, and now I have more money than I ever expected. Yes, a lot of rich people are completely out of touch with regular people. I mean, I saw a TikTok, I wanna say about last month, and there was this now rich guy, and he was complaining that he doesn't have enough rich friends to be like, I wanna just split a jet and go to Cabo or some bullshit. And I was just like, how are you openly complaining about this and not thinking that you just look like a douchebag? But also then thinking back to that, I'm like, does Tom Cruise's spreadsheet bullshit, does that actually help in a situation like this? It still seems incredibly weird to me, but also, once again, not my friend group. So I will say this, I'll pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts here? And then let's talk about actors and money. And you know, in part, this connects back to Scarlett Johansson and her lawsuit with Disney, as well as the whole industry changing. And so where this story starts is that Variety ranked the highest paid movie stars, and specifically doing so by the massive salary deals that they've inked for movies, many of which involve streaming projects. And that is very notable because as the report notes, right, in the past, you knew that you would hit the jackpot once your film dominated the box office. But now, instead, there's a lot of success and money to be made by throwing a picture on streaming, which is why the number one spot, you had Daniel Craig, who has secured $100 million from Netflix for the two Knives Out sequels that are on their way. Right, and the reason for those massive upfront checks is that Netflix is compensating movie stars for the projected back-end box office participation they would reap if their movies have been released exclusively in theaters. Right, looking back to the Scarlett Johansson story, a big part is she was like, I'm not gonna get paid back-end points because you also released my movie on streaming. But also, going back to Daniel Craig and Knives Out, it is worth noting that that was part of an even bigger major deal, Netflix paying $450 million for the rights of the two sequels back in March. Right behind Daniel Craig, we have the person you probably thought was number one, Dwayne Johnson, bringing in $50 million at Amazon to make Red One, followed by Will Smith and Denzel Washington making $40 million for King Richard and The Little Things. And from there, the list goes on and on, but I'm not gonna waste your time with those broke bobbies like Leo DiCaprio and Mark Wahlberg bringing in <laughs> $30 million. how embarrassing. Jennifer Lawrence, Julia Roberts on the welfare list only bringing in $25 million deals. How? 
embarrassing. <laughs> but joking aside, I think this list does provide kind of insight into the evolution that we're gonna see with part of the industry as things become more of a hybrid model. But from that, I wanna take a second to thank the fantastic sponsor of today's show, Mecarina. You know, Mecarina is one of the first mobile games that really tested my skill and rewarded me for being better than the competition. If you want a shooter where you can compete, win, and get recognized, you're gonna love this. There are tons of mechs to unlock and upgrade, each with their own unique ability. My favorite's being Killshot and Guardian. Also, that's without mentioning that there's a crazy variety of skins and paint jobs to customize your mech. It's a blast mixing and matching different roles and tactics to develop your own strategy. Here you can see switching over to Killshot for speed, uh, for super high energy, you can switch to Guardian. And Mecarina has just launched globally and they're running a celebration event with awesome free gifts for everyone. Today, the 19th is actually the last day, so do not wait. And get this, it is completely free to play on Android and iOS. Just use my link or scan the QR code right here to get one Steel Reaper skin, 500 A coins, and 70,000 credits to help kickstart your game. And also, if you are quick, you can add Philly D under friends and Maybe we can play some matches together. Then in news that some people see as a stupid, stupid nightmare, other people thinking is the future, though uh, those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. We had Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg talking about the metaverse for work. Right, or more specifically, launching a VR app and open beta called Horizon Workrooms. And one of the ways that Zuckerberg showcased this was by having a VR interview with Gail King on CBS this morning. Right, and then it's also being accessible to non-VR. That's gonna be important because even though it's still affordable as far as VR is concerned, a Quest 2 still costs $2.99. You know, and seeing Zuckerberg break this down, I, I couldn't help but wonder if this was one of the first moments where I was like, okay, am I just an old? Because while I'm always intrigued by the new, the different, the, the fresh, I kind of hate this. And so I wonder if what I'm experiencing here is like when people in prior generations were like, iPhones, what the? The internet, huh? Because there's a number of people that love work from home for a number of reasons, some including they just don't like being around a ton of people. So there's like the potential that all of a sudden those people that feel like they've found a groove all of a sudden get, are gonna get thrust into a kind of in-office environment. But also there is part of me that goes, this could be cool. Actually, I have a, a weekly thing with some buddies where one day a week we get together in VR uh, in an app called Big Screen. We watch a movie together. It's a lot of fun, but also that's an escape, not daily work. I will say I am intrigued by the, the mixture of VR and AR. Things like you having the VR set on, but you also being able to see your actual keyboard and use it between the two worlds. Right, so half the reason I even share this story is because I, I wanna pick your brain. What are your thoughts about this? Like, is this new and exciting? And you're like, maybe this is a, an answer to something that I want, or no, is this like a, is this a nightmare? Do you think that, that there's a lot of problems? Any and all thoughts and feelings you have about this, uh, let me know in those comments down below. Then in apparently Amazon realized there's still not enough things news. Uh, you have a new report from the Wall Street Journal saying that Amazon is now planning to open large retail locations that resemble department stores. With this, of course, marking Amazon's latest experiment with physical stores since it already opened up some brick and mortar spaces like bookstores, grocery stores, and cashierless convenience stores. But these much larger stores that we're talking about are on a different level. Plan for Ohio and California, reportedly taking up 30,000 square feet, right about the size of a Kohl's or a TJ Maxx. You know, there's an aspect of this story where I'm like, are they just fucking with us and other businesses at this point? Because, you know, big box operators are the exact type of market that Amazon disrupted with its services, forcing many to go into bankruptcy. Or to be one of the first Amazon bookstores was like literally in the skeleton of a, a closed down Barnes and Noble. But while it's not exactly clear what would be offered in these Amazon stores, they are expected to sell the company's private label goods, including uh, things that would benefit from being viewed in person, tried out in person, like apparel and certain gadgets, which would also definitely make sense since Amazon has invested more and more into building its fashion business in recent years. But yeah, ultimately we're gonna have to wait and see. Amazon right now is saying, oh, we don't comment on rumors and speculation, but come on, it, it's Amazon. They're just like Facebook. They're not gonna be happy until they're like in every single 
crevice of our lives. Then, you know how over the past few months we've been talking about people just getting worse and worse on airplanes? Well, it appears that with all of that, the Federal Aviation Administration is now deciding to hit back at these disruptive passengers, but not in their faces, but rather their wallets. Saying today that they are proposing over $500,000 in civil penalties against 34 airline passengers over unruly behavior. And that's notable because it brings the FAA's total in penalties for the year to more than $1 million. And I mean, we really could see more and more of this, right? In a typical year, the FAA sees 100 to 150 formal cases of bad passenger behavior. But since January, it's received 3,889 reports of unruly passengers. But also understand when I say things like unruly, it's not just like, hey, I have an issue and I said a mean thing. Right, you have instances like a $145,000 fine was issued to a JetBlue passenger for throwing objects, quote, including his carry-on luggage at other passengers, refusing to stay seated, lying on the floor in the aisle, refusing to get up, and then, oh boy, and then uh, grabbing a flight attendant by the ankles and putting his head up her skirt, as well as a $42,000 fine that was given to another JetBlue rider who failed to comply with the mask mandate and displayed other misbehavior, including, quote, making stabbing gestures towards certain passengers and snorting what appeared to be cocaine from a plastic bag. And finally, for the examples, a $30,000 fine that was issued against a Frontier Airlines passenger who, quote, attempted to gain entry to the flight deck by physically assaulting two flight attendants, threatening to kill one of them and demanding them to open the door. How is that a smaller fine? What the, what? Yeah, I guess the main point of this story is if just common decency wasn't enough, don't be stupid, stupid, because otherwise the FAA is gonna hit you in your wallet. Then we look back to Haiti where unfortunately, as expected, the death toll has risen. The Civil Protection Agency announcing that it is near 2,200 now. On top of that, over 12,000 injured, tens of thousands have been left homeless. With the government and UN both estimating that about half of the roughly 800,000 affected will be in need of humanitarian aid. And that aid is proving to be a source of a ton of concern and frustration in the country. And for many, the relief effort has just been far too slow, but to be fair, some of the delay has been caused by Tropical Storm Grace, which slammed the island earlier this week. But also a lot of it could have been caused by mismanagement in a country that is notorious for corruption and mismanagement, as well as the fact that it just had its president assassinated and the government flipped upside down from that event. And with a lot of these things stacked on top of another, there's also concern that a lot of the aid, if not most of the aid could go missing in a situation similar to what happened back in 2010. I don't know if you remember this, but after that quake, much of the $13 billion in aid went missing. Right, so now what we're seeing on the ground, vocal groups trying to spearhead relief efforts, but making matters worse is that organizations there that want to provide aid, such as the UN and others, are actually struggling to even get to affected towns and neighborhoods. Or the thing to note is that in many ways, Haiti is run by large gangs rather than government authorities. And reportedly, these gangs are just blocking roads and access to aid workers if they don't come to an agreement. I mean, the situation's so bad. Last night, you had the prime minister telling the nation on national TV that Haiti is now on its knees, saying the earthquake that devastated a large part of the south of the country proves once again our limits and how fragile we are. And adding, we have to put our heads together to rebuild Haiti. The country is physically and mentally destroyed. But with that, also trying to reassure people that past government mismanagement of aid funds will not occur again, saying that we will not repeat history on the mismanagement and coordination of aid. Now, whether that'll happen or not remains to be seen, but uh, where I'll end this is if you do wanna help, I'm gonna include some links and resources down below to groups that are on the ground and look like they're actually getting aid out. And the final thing that we're gonna talk about today, of course, is Afghanistan. And where I'm gonna start here is with an interview yesterday between ABC's George Stephanopoulos and President Joe Biden. And in the interview, which at times got tense, Biden finally conceded that the U.S. may not be able to pull all of its troops out of Afghanistan by the quickly approaching August 31st deadline. You've got like 10 to 15,000 Americans in the country right now, right? And are you committed to making sure that the troops stay until every American who wants to be out yes. is out? Yes. How about our Afghan allies? Does the commitment hold for them as well? The commitment holds to get everyone out that in fact we can get out and everyone should come out. 
And that's the objective. That's what we're doing now. That's the path we're on. And I think we'll get there. So Americans should understand that troops might have to be there beyond August 31st. No, Americans should understand that we're going to try to get it done before August 31st. But if we don't, the if, troops will if stay. If we don't, we'll determine at the time who's left. And? And if there are American forces, if there's American citizens left, we're going to stay till we get them all out. Right. Even though Biden is still adamant on getting out by the end of the month, this is the first time that he has actually said that the U.S. would stay as long as it takes to get all the Americans out. Also, another key point in this interview is you had Stephanopoulos pressing Biden on his comments from July, where he said a Taliban takeover was highly unlikely. Was the intelligence wrong or did you downplay it? There was no consensus. If you go back and look at the intelligence reports, they said that it was like more likely to be sometime by the end of the year. You didn't put a timeline out when you said it was highly unlikely. You just said flat out it's highly unlikely the Taliban would take over. Yeah. Well, the question was whether or not it, the idea that the Taliban would take over was premised on the notion that the uh, somehow the 300,000 troops we had trained and equipped was going to just collapse. They were going to give up. I don't think anybody anticipated that. Stephanopoulos is then going on to ask if the last week was a failure of intelligence, planning, execution, or judgment on the part of the U.S. government, to which Biden says that he doesn't consider it a failure, rather saying that the quick downfall of Afghanistan was because of the country's president quickly fleeing, as well as the sudden collapse of Afghan troops, and later adding, There is no good time to leave Afghanistan. 15 years ago would have been a problem. 15 years from now. The basic choice is, am I going to send your sons and your daughters to war in Afghanistan, in Afghanistan, in perpetuity? We spent over a trillion dollars, George, 20 years. There was no good time to leave. But if there's no good time, if you know you're going to have to leave eventually, why not have the, everything in place to make sure Americans to get out, to make sure our Afghan allies get out, so we don't have these psychotic scenes in Kabul? Number one, as you know, the intelligence community did not say back in June or July that, in fact, this was going to collapse like it did. Number one. They thought the Taliban would take over, but not this quickly. But not this quickly, not even close. Notably, that is also a point we've seen General Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, stressing as well. So that is definitely gonna be a major aspect of this story to keep an eye on, especially considering the ports from earlier this week. But also, as far as what's happening on the ground in Kabul right now, reportedly the U.S. has evacuated 7,000 people since Saturday. Also, like I touched on yesterday, officials hope that capacity increases to up to 9,000 people a day before the U.S. pullout. Meanwhile, on the ground today, we're seeing the Taliban clashing with protesters who reportedly chanted while waving the flag of their now over overthrown government. That leading to Taliban fighters firing in the air, though some also appear to take aim at the crowd. We're also seeing devastating headlines like desperate Afghan moms throw babies over barbed wire to UK troops at airport. I mean, you have thousands still doing everything in their power to get themselves and their families out of the country, some at almost any cost. Which is why I'll end this story with one, yes, of course, I'd love to know your thoughts on any and all aspects of this, but also uh, I'm going to link to resources down below if you want to try and help. But ultimately with this story and honestly anything else that stood out to you today, I'd love to know your thoughts in those comments down below. And as always, thank you for watching, liking, subscribing, joining the family. My name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love your faces and I'll see you next time.